You're listening to Covindustry 19, a 19 episode podcast series focused on the outlook and actions of individuals in the hospitality industry affected by COVID 19. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Covindustry 19. Thank you to those that have tuned in the entire time and welcome anybody that is just tuning in and either starting with this episode or starting from the very beginning. I usually say this at the end, but I just want to say if you want to be featured in Cove Industry 19 or you have any feedback or comments or just want to touch base, you can email us at coveindustry19 at gmail.com. I wanted to focus on events today. I absolutely love events. Events are near and dear to my heart. Large-scale concerts or festivals, intimate gatherings, it's all centered around a shared experience with other people. I miss that, and I'm sure you do too. But I know safety is important, and as of right now, having a gathering in your yard is a misdemeanor, even if you're maintaining six feet. But do you remember attending a concert with over 10,000 people and the only thing that annoyed you was the person in front of you holding up their phone? Well, people like Connie helped make those events. Uh, my name is Connie Wan. I'm a large-scale event producer. Um, I own a company called Party Animal, and uh, we produce large-scale events primarily in Portland, but kind of all over the West Coast and a few things internationally. So um, I started in the music industry. Uh, when I first moved to Portland from college, I worked at, at the time, the only music booking agency in Portland. Um, they were established to service a band called Colobo. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a uh, sort of like hippie rock band that came out of Lewis and Clark in the 90s. Uh, the music company is called Siren Music, and... Um, my sort of relationship with booking music and like putting together the right uh, bands for different events led me to booking DJs in, in the early 2000s when DJs suddenly were like everywhere, very prolific at every bar and restaurant in town. Um, I just kind of quickly became known as a person that like knew who, like what DJs were good. And uh, people started to call me to book DJs for their holiday parties and their office parties. And um, when I would be on calls with them about it, they wouldn't have any information about where or who was catering or any of the other details. And uh, so very organically, I started to help people with all of the details of their event. Um, so it's springboarded from music to all the other aspects and then you know fast forward 15 years and here we are producing all kinds of things all over the world cool huh i think so too but what do you do when a global pandemic threatens your very job and the events that you plan for connie and large-scale events it was always on their radar doing what i do we are always paying attention to a few factors whether um, you know, large scale viral disease. Um, so I did catch wind of COVID probably the beginning of February. I recall having a number of meetings with clients where we joked about like, oh, we're not supposed to shake hands and, and things like that. Um, it 
definitely became worrisome when my first event canceled in probably early March, um, right around the same time as South by canceled. So I think for our industry, like South by Southwest was sort of the beacon uh, cancellation that really made people realize like, this is a big deal. This is really serious. Uh, they wouldn't just cancel South by over, you know, like an assumption or um, not something that was like actually genuinely an issue. Though we are playing the waiting game, Connie did make a valid point about a word that we might have heard almost as much as we've heard coronavirus or COVID-19. Essential. I mean, I think um, for me, it's been kind of surprising to understand that your profession could be obsolete within a few days. Um, I think uh, one of the things that has really resonated me through this time is that like the term essential worker has really stayed with me. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any like bones about it. Like our industry is one that brings people together, but is not essential. I mean, I throw parties for a living, so it's not necessarily something that like, in these times, you know, it's not, I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm not providing, you know, medical services or delivering mail or all of these important tasks that, you know, we now see as essential. Um, I think that it's difficult to see your industry, yeah, be obliterated so quickly. And then um, understanding the impact of that from the people that work, you know, behind the scenes to managers to artists to caterers to like the ripple effects are kind of really daunting but I also think that like you know if and when things are uh, sort of I, I don't want to say like return to normal because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's such a thing anymore mm-hmm. I think that when things um, evolve to the place where the CDC gives us some guidelines and some sanitation protocol and people can gather, then our jobs will have an even more important impact and importance to people. I think that gathering thing is something that we've all taken so much for granted. Um, Even the most serious introverts I know are like, I just miss seeing people. And I'm like, wow, that's surprising. You're such an introvert. It pains me to think about all of the events having to postpone and the stress that comes with it. How many dreamt and were looking forward to their friends and family all in one place? I think back to September and my 30th birthday. I was in Margot's very space, Opal 28, with the closest people to me. My name is Margot Phoebus Pyramine. Um, I'm transitioning into my new last name because I recently got married. Um, I am the owner of Opal 28, which is a boutique event space in Northeast Portland. So um, I moved back to Portland um, about a decade ago now. Crazy how that time flies. But I was living in Chicago at the time in the event restaurant hospitality industry, primarily working um, in a event space for corporate meetings, but also late night bottle service and, and things like that. Margot decided to move back to Portland with the welcoming of her sister's first child. 
my niece Sadie was born and I was living with them and I just saw this missing service for busy families, which was homemade healthy style meals that would be delivered to your door. So I started this dinner service out of her kitchen and realized the only way I was really going to be able to grow it was to have my own space. And this was well before Grubhub. This was before services like Blue Apron. So it really was was the, the first of its kind. Uh, and I ended up the property, which Opal 28 currently is out of, which also includes four apartments upstairs and a commercial kitchen in the back. Margot shifted gears from her meal service and Opal 28 was born in the quaint and bustling Northeast Portland neighborhood. We are in a unique place because um, Opal 28 could operate like a restaurant if I wanted to. And that was something that I chose six years ago when I took over the property to run that dinner service. I chose that I didn't want to, I didn't want to operate a restaurant. I've never been interested in operating a restaurant or a bar for that matter. I love the, um, the, the, the event style space. I love being able to work directly with our clients and, and really be able to customize the space to what, what our clients need, as opposed to wondering if we're going to fill seats um, with, our, with our dinner menu. COVID-19 posed a difficult decision for Margot and Opal 28. Though intimate, no gathering of any kind would be able to escape the difficulties of continuing as they once planned. My sales manager started tallying the events that revenue that we were losing or the event revenue that was having to rebook sometimes they were we had events that were rebooking for april (laughs) so it was like oh well this is happening in early march let's just push it to april and and here we are in april and clearly not not hosting events um but really started to realize the second week of march i think it was a wednesday and we had a, a all of our events canceled. There was there was rumors and fear that that COVID nineteen was really going to take over, and and you know it, it was kind of when the toilet paper started to run out, kind of yeah. kind of thing. And I started doing some numbers, and I was I I'm not going to make my payroll. Like the winter is already a, a slow time for the event season, so my salaried employees, you know, I I, I keep them on all year round, knowing that the busy season is going to float us through the winter season. Mm -hmm. And we're already coming off a a slower winter. I I had to make make some really big decisions, 70% of my staff, um, right around March 15th. And I I have nine people on staff, um, kitchen manager, chef, um, office manager, sales manager, marketing personnel, um, and and, uh, my event staff. Um, So it was devastating as a business owner. That was the hardest day of, of my life. I had no idea that a week later I would have to let everybody else go. Events, coffee, and motorcycles? It sounds like an interesting mix, but an amazing one at the same time. Marion with CC's Motorcycles explains how they all fit together. Um, my name is Marion James. I am the events and project manager at CC Motorcycles. Um, we are a motorcycle coffee shop. It's kind of like a motorcycle lifestyle brand, if you will. We have cafes, we have apparel, and then we also throw a mix of different events, both at our cafe or um, at big venues um, in terms of races or motorcycle shows, art shows, things like that. And you guys are just really unique. How did he 
combine motorcycles and coffee? Like, what was the thought there? <laughs> so our, our founder, Tor Drake, he, um, he started CC a little over 10 years ago, I think it was. He was working for an ad agency at the time. He threw the first one motorcycle show in a warehouse that he rented for um, building a trade show booth, I believe it was. And then... Um, shortly after, he rented a spot down the street from where he hosted the show and, and had the first CC motorcycle store, which was just, I think, gear and apparel. Um, I think it was AirPods only of Stumptown Coffee. Uh, after a few years of doing a smaller shop, they expanded and made a true place where the community could kind of hang out, where they get gear, they get apparel, and they could hang out, get coffee, sit with their friends, meet people who ride, all that kind of stuff. Um, it started, I think, mostly out of a, a desire to have a place for people to, to meet up uh, that was different than the kind of biker community that was around uh, back then, which was flames and skulls and big choppers and things like that. But these were just a group of friends that loved motorcycles and wanted to kind of hang out and enjoy them together. How about you share just a little history about yourself and how you got into the events industry? Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I went to school in San Francisco. Um, when I went there, I was undeclared business and I actually ended up working for the event management department at the school just because I needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I quickly switched into the hospitality major because I had a, a deep love for restaurants and, and community and bringing people together. And so it kind of happened quickly where I was working in events and started studying events and realized that's exactly what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, after graduating from the University of San Francisco, I, I came back to Portland and started working in restaurants. Um, I landed a pretty sweet job working for Vitaly Paley Restaurants in downtown Portland um, pretty quickly after I moved back home. But when I joined when I joined the team at Paley, they only had two restaurants at the time. I guess three if you count Portland Penny Diner. Mm -hmm. And then pretty quickly after I joined, they opened two more restaurants and did a, a remodel refresh of the Penny Diner into the Crown, which kind of changed the the style of the restaurant as well. It was a really cool opportunity. It was one of those things where you start a job and when you're hired, they say, there's lots of opportunity here. Like just stick around, see it out, and you're definitely going to be part of it all. And I remember starting and I, I started under um, Shelly Jones, who was the director of events at the time, um, who was definitely my mentor in a lot of the ways of, of learning the ins and outs of private dining, catering, and working with the restaurant industry as a whole. Um, but working under her, I was kind of thinking, oh, I'm just a coordinator. I'm not going to be able to do much more. We only have a couple of restaurants. There's no way. Uh, and within, I think, the first few months of me working at Imperial, we won Restaurant of the Year from Willamette mm -hmm. Week, which was really cool. Um, I was working with Doug Adams, who's an incredible chef, and his team is pretty incredible as well. And um, yes, pretty quickly they opened Headwaters the next October, I think it was. Rosa Rosa came about a no, then the crown happened after mm -hmm. Headwaters opened, and then the year after that they they went for Dacia and Rosa Rosa, the restaurant there. Um, so my role kind of continued to grow with it, which was really cool. So I went from a, a coordinator and doing more admin work to doing event management to then overseeing private dining and catering for the Crown, Paley's Place, and Imperial, and then also doing all the off-sites with Vitaly by the time I was leaving, which was a really, really special role because um, he wasn't cooking regularly in the restaurants, but he was doing tons of private events, charity things, wine dinners, um, special things around the brand. And whenever he was cooking, I was there 
to kind of help plan it and be there. For Miriam and Cece's, COVID-19 started to become apparent while the One Moto was going on at the beginning of February. Then, of course, things started to get very serious while they were doing none other than planning another event. Um, I remember in the first couple weeks of March, there, we had a staff meeting to talk about COVID and talk about how it was affecting restaurants. At that point, some restaurants had closed. It was starting to be this kind of unknown thing of um, recommendations and not really sure how to take recommendations, if it was um, frowned upon to stay open, if it was encouraged to do takeout, things like that. Um, we went to Subtle Lodge. Um, I think it was the third week of March, right before the ban came into place from Kate Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, we were outside of Lodge doing a site tour for Dirt and Dip, which is going to be a motorcycle weekend for women, um, a camp out where people can either camp or stay at the lodge, uh, do a bunch of different rides around the Bend area and sisters. But um, we were there and we kind of went to do the site tour, but we were really thinking on the way up. We had a long conversation while we were on the drive, like, are we going to be able to host an event in June? What's the planning process going to be like for the next two months with something like COVID going on? Um, we don't, at that point, we really had no idea how it was going to affect even Oregon, but it was starting to feel really serious. And we kind of went to ask how to cancel in person, which was a really big bummer for us because we were kind of fighting the decision for a really long time. Um, at that point, there was recommendations for gatherings of 50 or less until the end of May or something like that. The recommendations were changing so quickly that we couldn't really keep up with what to do with an event like this and an event that was just out of the recommendation window. Um, So we went that week. We had a a nice night. It was kind of crazy because we were sitting at the bar at Subtle in the hotel and no one was really there. Um, I think there was a photo shoot going on for Prana. And so there's a mix of people from their team in the lodge Um, But we were still trying to practice distance, which was a little bit weird. We were washing our hands constantly. Um, Luckily, Subtle Lodge has the best smelling soap. (laughs) I love that place. I have yet to stay there. I went before it opened when my friend was painting it. But I freaking, it's so cute. And the boat, yeah, the boathouse is at mm -hmm. the restaurant. I had never been. And so it was really cool to see it and to think of it for the event that we're going to do. It's going to be perfect. Um, but we were there at the the restaurant having dinner and while we were at dinner, we found out that restaurants were then going to do takeout bars were no longer able to stay open and allow people to gather at the place. And it was, um, kind of bizarre to be eating at a bar and then be like, oh no, like this is our last meal out for, I don't know how long. Um, we could definitely feel it with the staff. They were really bummed. They knew that the next day they weren't going to be working. Uh, even with Subtle, they could do takeout food. But they, I could tell they have a small staff, and it definitely was going to affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, people were still there at that point, which was cool. But it was the same feeling we had of, okay, what's happening next? Like, how do we pivot? Okay, if we have to do takeout, who's going to be doing that? How do we all work? Like, what do I need to learn how to do to make all of that happen? And then it was also a really scary thought, especially on our drive back, um, thinking about having to lay off our staff and to Mm -hmm. think about temporarily, what does that mean? How, how long is temporary? All these questions. Um, I think the whole time we were away, we tried not to talk about it, but it was crazy how, even when you're not trying to talk about it, we talked about it constantly. And then I started calling everyone in my family 
being like, how are you? Are you still working? Are you worried about your job? Um, and I think I quickly realized then that it was hospitality that was going to get hit so hard, at least in terms of, okay, there was one day when everything changed or a few days where the ban, the recommendation, the regulations all kind of came into effect. And all of a sudden, everything felt different. Hospitality, especially, I don't know if people realize that they were just the first wave of it. And then I feel like subsequent industries after that kind of realize, mm-hmm. oh, if people aren't traveling and all the restaurants and service industry and obviously events are off because it went from 250 to 50 to 10, then you're going to start getting, you know, the Portland, especially like local business and little shops and they just aren't necessarily essential, but they are essential to us. So yeah, I totally agree with you. It was really over a matter of days. I mean, people really had to rethink their business and their plan on kind of how to handle everything. It felt like it happened in a week. To yeah, me. which it to did. Me, it, felt, yeah. it felt real within a week, um, yeah. which is crazy. As I'm producing the very episode of this podcast, Kate Brown, our governor, is initiating a slow reopening of Oregon. Events, especially large-scale, are part of the unknown piece to our future puzzle. What has been inspiring is the creative ways businesses have pivoted to support themselves, like Opal 28. Can we touch on kind of what you've done with the grab-and-go? In Because Opal is unique that it's in... Um, a yeah. neighborhood out of 28th. And I just, yeah, I thought that was very creative. I realized you know, I was totally obsessed with watching the news for the first couple of weeks that this was happening. And, you know, especially what was happening in New York as things were, were starting to shut down there and watching the news one day. And I, I was kind of seeing how these restaurants were evolving into grocery stores and it's kind of wild as in 1950. So the Opal building was originally built in 1908 as a house. Mm-hmm. And in the fifties, they renovated it to a commercial space on the ground level and apartment stairs. But in the fifties, it was a grocery store. So immediately I was like, like my space grocery store and all these, all these restaurants are thinking about kind of offering grocery store style services. And I thought, there's got to be, there's something here. I knew that I didn't want people in the space. I think that um, that we have to be so hyper aware of all the the, the, the touching and the breathing and, and all of that um, from obviously the, the medical standpoint of it. But I, I knew that there was something with the, free, the 28th being as busy as it is and ample parking and an easy kind of curbside pickup situation plus the inventory that I, I have um, mm-hmm. and the access to um, the access to goods that I have through my distributors. Let's do an Instagram and see if the community is interested in something like this. And something really crazy happened. I have a neighbor that um, is not a huge fan of Opal 28. Mm-hmm. And he um, took a screenshot, posted it on Nextdoor. And basically was, um, he was ranting about how, um, Oval 28 is not a grocery store, how this is not good for the, not, not good for the community who, like, who do I think I am thing? The response was overwhelmingly positive 
for Opal 28 to open a grab and go and how the community via next door would be so excited to not have to go to Fred Meyer to find out they don't have toilet paper. I was really flattered by, by the response from the community. And I think it just goes to show, especially that kind of part of Northeast Portland, the Kearns, Laurelhurst area, um, people are looking out for each other. You can go to opal28.com and the grab and go section to start your grab and go order. You can order for delivery or pickup. Curbside pickup is free. Usually Margot has you order by Monday and the delivery and pickup happens on Thursdays. It's ever-changing as it's a hybrid, but very exciting. And CC's Motorcycles, they launched their very own coffee, finally. And you can order it to your doorstep. So we're working now to do local delivery. So that'd be any zip code in Portland. But mm -hmm. anyone in the U.S., I mean, anyone across the world could order a bag of the CC Scrambler blend. Um, it's new. We've been working with Proud Mary, which we're really excited about, but we are selling coffee by the bag. You can do subscription coffee. You can buy it once. Uh, it's kind of crazy how, how much coffee I drink at home now, not being at oh, yeah. an office or a coffee shop, but what is my office? Um, I think people are underestimating how much coffee they get from work for free. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think it's a, a really important ritual for some people. Uh, I know the way people come through the shop is really different. Some people come through to meet and sit and hang out. Some people come to work just on their own. Some people come grab a coffee and go. But even the fact that that kind of place can't exist right now is really hard to mm -hmm. comprehend. And with everything going on, I leave you with this final thought. And I will catch you next time for episode six. I also have a greater sense of sort of gratitude and understanding. And I think that, you know, the opportunity for society to like look at this and care for those that are like less, you know, advantaged and um, at, you know, different levels of sort of economic safety and support it's it's time for everyone to sort of support each other and and really see that i think um i knew that there needed to be a big shift i, I think that we could all agree that we weren't happy with like how things were going how the world was was sort of like humanity was showing up and how the world was being run and how people were like kind of you know quickly using capitalism to just like build their own sort of stockpile of things. I mean, there's certainly still some of that, but now there seems to be a global awakening of like, not just thinking about singularly yourself and your needs. And that gives me hope for humanity. <laughs>